fellow listeners out there. This used to be your friendly neighborhood black man, Jamar Burke, aka the sophisticated black man. But he's not going to be here for the foreseeable future. Instead, the SBM podcast has been taken over. Welcome to the SBM's Scary Hours, an entire podcast themed to everything Halloween, whether it's horror, urban legends, ghosts and aspirations, and other spooky, scary stuff. In this episode, the very first one of Scary Hours, I'm going to be talking about horror through the decades. My name is Scary J. Welcome to the show. <laughs> so, this is the first ever episode of Scary Hours. Alright, and in this one, we're going through horror throughout the decades. We're not starting with the early 1900s, no. Because horror was a brand new genre in the 1900s. Instead, we're starting in the 50s. <laughs> in the grand old 50s. Where horror had just begun to take off. In the 1950s, it was known as B-Movie Babylon. Why? Because, compared to the 40s, the 1950s were radically contrast compared to the 40s. They were reflecting a brand new world. It just started after the Second Great War had taken 40 million lives. So many other millions of people were exposed to the full intensity of man's humanity to man. Homecoming soldiers and bereaved widows had lived through too much personal horror to be frightened by hokey fantasies about costume monsters and middle European vigils, villages of a bygone age. The, or, the era of horror movies framed in fairy tale Ms. Mizamine was over. Instead, audiences in the 50s wanted stories that connected directly to their lives, to the ever-expanding technology in their homes and workplaces. I'm talking microwaves, televisions, washing machines, dryers, everything new and expanding. They also wanted horror movies that played to their fears, stoked by politicians of the shadows that lay beyond their intermediate personal experience of the shiny American dream. The dawning of post-war porosity in the U.S. brought with it a new breed of monsters adapted for survival in North American swamps, deserts, small towns, and suburban homes. Now horror, 50, now, horror films of the 50s are situated in present day, and many of them riff off of the contemporary technology run riot. They offer a different escape to the horror films of the 30s. They often play, to comic effect, with people's fears about scientific developments or disasters taking over lives. In many ways, it must have felt as though the mad scientists had won and we're now in control. It just, it wasn't just human technology that triggered collective anxiety, no, no, no. The first recorded sighting of a flying saucer occurred 
on June 24, 1947, followed almost immediately by the crash of a supposed weather balloon in Roswell, New Mexico, that fueled rumors about a captive alien ship and an autopsy bay leaving for decades. During the war, people had been conditioned to watch the skies for enemy bombers. In peacetime, alien craft represented the next best threat. But the 1950s was also the era when horror films slid slowly and surely into the B-movie category, ignored by stars and award shows. On the whole, and unless their studio contract compelled them, established talent opted for the paychecks associated with glossy epics, melodramas, and musicals. Yuck! Up and comers chose to demonstrate their chops on the psychological and stylistic challenges of film noir, which quickly became the low-budget amateur's go-to genre. Yes, the 50s were a bright time when people were leaving the horror genre and decided to be flashy and stylistic. Yuck. They left behind all the good that they could do working with horror films. People who made horror films in the 50s were those who'd always take a trip to the carnival over a night at the ballet. The show people, misfits, freaks, queers, mavericks, rogues, and has-beens. Anyone who felt bypassed or rejected by the mainstream. Perpetual outsiders, they relished outlandish scenarios in which smug normality gets ripped apart by an innovator. The more grotesque, the better. Ah, oh, the 50s where monster flicks became king. It was incredible. Many, many creature features made their debuts in the 1950s. The Beast from 2000 Fathoms, a great film. But nobody, nobody can forget about the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, no, no, no. The creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh. A clawing monster from a lost age strikes the Amazon's forbidden depths. You cannot and will not forget about the creature from the Black Lagoon, as well as Tarantula seeing an 80-foot, eight-legged, man-eating, man-crushing, city-destroying spider, arachnid, causing terror. It was such horror in the 50s. But, of course, with behind the scenes, the creature from the Black Lagoon was essentially a man in a rubber suit. But the suit itself is an elaborate and expressive construction that evolved through several iterations and ended up costing a measly $15,000, which in today's cost would be around $100,000 because, again, it was the 1950s. Two, two versions of the suit were made, one for Riku Browning to swim in, and one for the much taller ex-Marine Ben Chapman to wear during the ground scenes. It was a very titular time for horror in the 1950s. I Was a Teenage Werewolf was also released in the 1950s. This is when horror took a back seat to mainstream and started putting audiences in their seats and taking them out at the same time. 
for the next decade. The 1960s. Yes, the 60s. Full of bad girls and blood freaks. (laughs) 1960s horror movies reflect an era of rapid change and uncertainty and a yawning generation gap. Yes, indeed. From those baby boomers of the 40s to those peace-loving hippies of the 60s. Man, it was definitely a yawning generation gap. The social stability of the post-war years crumbled as attitudes to everything from hemlines to homosexuality underwent a seismic shift. The 60s were defined by cultural revolution and rocked by dramatic and often violent news events. Cuba, political assassinations, the civil rights struggle, the Cold War, Vietnam. But sexual revolution happened too as new medical technology freed women from their reproductive chains horror movies especially those made for low budgets outside the mainstream studio system offered ways to process and interpret the rapid pace of change they often served as cautionary tales about the dangers of abandoning traditional values yes traditional values that were established in the 40s and 50s two kids two cars in a garage with a white picket fence oh yes such traditional values and then the 60s came full of so many violent news events such despair freeing women from their chains of reproduction it was definitely abandoning traditional values the relaxation of censorship also allowed filmmakers to debunk old taboos and explore new ways of depicting sex and violence. Yes! As the power of the production code faded, underground cinema dodged scrutiny and therefore, and therefore censorship. But despite the often tragic turmoil of this era, this almost seemingly forgotten era, there were a few films that stood out. There was a feeling of optimism, the sense that humanity was moving forward, onward, and upward. The concept of Cold War lost heat, and in 20 odd years without nuclear holocaust, the threat of mass death by radiation had receded. The mutant monsters of the 50s now looked silly. No aliens had turned up either, well, they hadn't announced their presence to the masses, although maybe a few MIBs knew a thing or two. That's men in black for those of you that don't know. Rather than focus on on external threats, counterculture thinking involved a re-examination of the social psyche, traditions, stereotypes, prohibitions. From thriller to chiller, yes, thriller to chiller. Horror movies and thrillers have always overlapped, especially the psychological horror and film noir of the 40s and 50s. Both run on cycles of tension and release, antagonist pursuits of the protagonist, etc., etc. The boundary between the two genres is blurred, but probably occurs around the point when supernatural plot or character elements are introduced. Yes. Now we're going to get on to two films that I, Scary J, think were very pivotal for horror movies in the 60s. The first being, of course, made by the legendary director himself. Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, Alfred Hitchcock. 
came out with Psycho in 1960. Undisputed master of thriller, Alfred Hitchcock made his two ventures into the horror genre in the 60s. With both Psycho and The Birds, two different movies from each other, but still within the horror genre. No frills, low budget approach of Sir William Castle. Sir Alfred Hitchcock proved himself as the expert of scary audiences with both an internal and external threat. One monster is carefully delineated and explained. The other is an unnatural, unexplicable presence watching and waiting somewhere beyond normal human experience. Psycho occupies the border between horror and thriller. While in some ways it's a classic murder mystery, it also introduces us to Norman Bates who is as weird as it gets and the kind of monster who will stalk your dreams. Yes, Norman Bates definitely would stalk your dreams. Scary man pull up into a desolate hotel needing to spend the night after you had just robbed your boss's workplace. So, you decide to stay at the Bates Inn Motel. And you end up losing your life. Alfred Hitchcock was a master of horror and thriller. We cannot forget about him being the thriller man. Of course, there was always Dracula as well, but that is not the film I'm referring to. Oh, no, no, no. The film I'm referring to was a monumental step, not only for horror in the 60s, going into 1970s, but also african-american actors because don't forget this podcast is also about black culture fitting into horror yes yes indeed in 1968 a director by the name of george a romero gathered together his buddies in pittsburgh in june of 1967 and embarked on shooting a movie with the working title monster flick yes they worked according to low budget principles corman and Lewis would have approved $114,000 and six months later they had produced cult classic Night of the Living Dead. This incredibly influential horror film took a deadpan approach to its grisly subject, humans eating other humans' brains, signaling a new social realism that put the arkly stylized horror of the first half of the decade to the shame. Oh, yes, Night of the Living Dead. The movie was released on October 4, 1968, when it must have seemed like the world was burning. Audiences used to used to TV's news footage of political assassinations, war in Vietnam, rights in the streets, and police squashing protests with bullets and tas- tear gas didn't have to have much make of an imaginative leap into the martial laws scenario outlined at the beginning of the film. George A. Romero showed that horror films could and should offer brutal social commentary. It's the only horror movie of its time, if you have gone there since, to address racial tension directly, because the main protagonist, yes, the main protagonist, is a black man. That actor's name is Dwayne Jones. Yes, Dwayne Jones became the first African-American to land a leading role in a movie and my goodness did he play it to the fullest extent mm, powerful stuff he was 
So it's the 60s in horror with a leap from the contemporary oh so silly monster flicks of the 50s ugh the 60s put the 50s to shame but as we will see in the 1970s everything changes for both horror and thriller it's a whole new ball game in the 1970s the 70s oh the 70s horror movies of the 1970s reflect some of the grim social developments of the decade oh after the optimism of the 60s with its sexual and cultural revolutions the 70s represented something of a downturn by 1970 the party was over oh the manson family killed the california hippie dream the beatles had split up Janice and Jimmy died. Oh, Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, both legends died. And it was downhill all the way from there. From Nixon to Nam, oil strikes, skyrocketing divorce rates, and increasing dependence on daytime sedatives to cope with it all. Oh, the loneliness and selfishness of the me decade beget the age of depression. Oh, the 70s. Oh. It was a time in society where everything just seemed like it was going bad. But the one diamond in the rough that stood out throughout the 1970s was the introduction of so many great horror films. Oh my goodness. Fortunately, when society goes bad, horror films get good. In the 70s, horror makes it way back into the cultural spotlight. Horror films dealing with contemporary social issues and addressing genuine psychological fears were big hits during the decade. Consequently, big name, director, big name directors lined up to produce horror properties. This attracted big studio budgets that would have made Herschel Gordon Lewis's head explode. The, Ex the Exorcist, yes, The Exorcist was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including winning two of them. Yes, successful. Not in front of the children. Oh, fear of children is evident in many 1970s horror movies, especially the fear of the messy, painful, and sometimes fatal process of pregnancy and childbirth. Perhaps this was a consequence of men writing and directing all the movies? I don't know. David Skull in a monster movie in the monster show identifies this fear as stemming from the introduction of the contraceptive pill and from the birth defects horrors faced on the western world by Thalmal Tom once sex and conception have been separated and sexual activity becomes primarily a pleasure the byproducts the children become monstrous apparitions something else gained traction in the 70s horror feminism 1970s horror movies also confront the issues surrounding women's demands for greater gender equality building on the successes of the 60s a new generation of women fought for their rights to an equal education and opportunities in the workplace yes women empowerment gaining traction in the 70s second wave feminism 
compounded the sensation of fracture within traditional family structures. Married women wanted to work too, rather than being stay-at-home helpmates for their husbands. Yuck. It became a lot easier for a woman to get a divorce and strike out alone, with the law usually favoring the mother when it came to granting custody of the kids. Men, once they became aware of this trend, pushed back, beginning the modern phase of the men's rights movements, which Scary J will always side with the women, no matter what. No matter what. But family values in the 70s. The crumbling family unit generated much fear and mistrust, especially for men. Filmmakers, who in the 70s were always almost men, used horror to reflect their personal fears about the way the world was going and their changing role in it. Consequently, in many 70s horror movies, the other isn't a shape-shifting alien crash landing from another planet. Instead, the other lurks inside your home. It's your mom, the broad, your dad, the shining, oh, your brother, Halloween, your sister, Alice, sweet Alice, your husband, the Stepford wives, a newborn, it's alive, a little boy, the omen, a preteen, and the exorcist, people in your life you see so often you don't really see them anymore, Carrie. 70s horror movies acknowledge that small personal stories of a marriage breakdown or a troubled child can intensify, can be intense and terrifying, more so than abstract tales of the supernatural, because they are so real and so terrifying. Yes. Again, many movies of the 70s started coming out. This is when horror started becoming even more mainstream. Yes big budget studios wanted to get on board the horror train <laughs> choo choo <laughs> but of course there are a few movies that stood out to me scary jay the most of course you have the exorcist in 1973 the scariest thing is attempting an exorcism on a preteen girl that's been taken over by the devil. It was based on one such novel by William Fredkin. It managed to entertain non-believers, freak out fundamentalists, and scare former Christians back into the arms of their church. The special effects created mechanically on set rather than added in post-production dazzle even today by today's standards the wicker man in 1973 a british a british horror film that was subsequently remade in the 20 in the 2000s by nicholas cage yes carrie 1976 the omen such great films carrie shot use using vivid hues, split screen, and soft focus style effects and cultivating in a gore trench finale. If you've never seen Carrie, I suggest you watch it now after you finish this episode. The Omen, a scary little boy in the same sense as The Exorcist. Jaws. Ooh, a man-eating shark on the beaches of New Jersey? Made by a man who subsequently went on to make a lot of other films that 
may or may not have to do with horror, more so drama and um, historical. Jaws, created by Spielberg, was a different type of horror. It was a summer thriller. <gasps> a man-eating shark on the beaches of New Jersey? Who would have thought? But, oh, but my favorite one, my favorite sub-genre of horror, the slasher films. You cannot forget about the slasher films. Oh, the slasher films of the 70s. It helped cultivate what horror meant to be going up forward. You had Black Christmas in 1974. It wasn't the first 70s horror film to focus on a Christmas time spree killer, but the sor sorority house setting, sharp script by Ray Moore, stellar cast that include Kyra Galia, Olivia Hussey, and Margaret Kidder, and nuanced direction of the Canadian film meme it's often referenced as a definitive slasher. It was a hit upon first release in Canada, but stumbled into the US possibly because of a clumsy title change. U.S. distributors didn't want audiences to think it was a blaxploitation film, so they renamed it Silent Night, Evil Night. Ugh. Clunky and too similar to the unappealing Kashuni film. Over the years, it's gained status as a cult classic and has been re remade twice in 2006 and recently as 2019. 1974 also brought the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <gasps> The first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And of course, the best slasher film out of the entire 1970s. Halloween debuted in 1978. Created by none other than John Carpenter himself. Otten imitated, never equaled this low budget $325,000 masterpiece took all the suspense of Psycho and repackaged it in color with teenage protagonists a, a knowing nod to the market although credited with spawning subsequent slash and gore picks of the 80s oh we will get into that it contains relatively little blood instead relying on shock and an unrelenting buildup of tension once again the premise is simple teenage babysitter tries to escape the attention of a rampaging serial killer but carpenter's daft use of shadows and score he composed it himself made it horrifying and fresh although subsequent overuse of its elements have turned them into cliches we will take a quick spooky commercial break and when we get back we'll get into the 1980s all the way through the 2000s. <laughs> Enjoy this spooky commercial break sponsored by Anchor Podcasts. Welcome back to the SBM Scary Hours. <laughs> on to the 1980s carnival row horror in the 80s which probably actually began in 1979 with alien i myself scary j don't really consider alien a horror it's more of a 
sci-fi thriller in the sense that thriller and horror still fit in the same genre but nonetheless it's more of a sci-fi film exists at the glorious watershed when special visual effects finally catch up with the gory imagings of horror fans and movie makers technical advances in the field of animatronics and liquid and foam latex meant the human frame could be distorted to an entirely new dimension on screen this coincided with the materialistic ethos of the 80s when having it all was important but to be seen to be having it all was paramount it was truly the age of excess people demanded tangible tokens of material success bigger shinier faster with more knobs up as verification of their own value in society in the same way 80s horror films delivered the full color close-up look no strings attached special effect in a way that previous practitioners of the art could only dream about everything lurking in the shadows in older horror movies was now dragged into the garnished light of day the monsters were finally out of the closet we're not referring to it in that way but more so it was time for the monsters to shine again once they were exposed to the light however these monsters proved to be the same as ever ghosts of supernatural origin were beings of human origin and slimy things origin unknown the latter maintained a strong presence in 80s horror movies the cuddly aliens represented in star wars and et were counted balanced by the grotesque extraterrestrials of the alien franchise and the thing werewolves also made a showing in the, the 80s horror film with howling series in the american werewolf in london and perhaps that's in the 40s reflected a fear of the wolves stalking each other under the aegis of the cold war but some films that truly brought horror to mainstream for the entire decade when it came to the art of film the shining based off of stephen king's 1977 bestseller many of his works of art will become films on the big screen and become very successful about a haunted hotel stanley kubrick's take on the on the book differs substantially from it rather than being about a family it's about a location the overlook as imagined by Kubrick, is a series of nightmare-inducing spaces that simultaneously cause claustrophobia and agoraphobia. Kubrick eschews King's supernatural explanation that the hotel is an evil entity which manifests via a spectral corpse in a bathtub or topiary creatures that come to life. Instead, he suggests it's an extreme case of sick building syndrome, something rotten in the architecture and the patterns in the carpet buries into Jack's brains and sends him over the edge. Zombie films finally made a comeback. A comeback from the slick satire on shopping mall frequenters, Dawn of the Dead, to the inspired gorefest Brain Dead, successfully lurching across the screen's various stages of decomposing. Horror generated good box office business in the 80s, so much so that there are a couple big-budget family-oriented orientated entries to the genre. 
deliberately, deliberately restrained to earn a PG-13 rating. The Howling. And then Gremlins. Oh, Gremlins. A film aimed squarely at the Christmas family market, but containing some highly vicious little monsters and some very gory special effects. Of course, kids loved it, as they also loved Ghostbusters. These movies were big hits, 148 million and 291 million at the box office, respectively. Yes, the 80s, the 80s, the 80s. But with the 50s and the creature features came a reimagining of some of those creature features, such as 1986's The Fly, with none other than the man himself, Jeff Goldblum. The Fly, in this version, the scientist's transformation from human to insects is gradual rather than immediate, giving him time to appreciate the full horror of his situation rather than just having to deal with it. This also gives Cronenberg the opportunity to explore his unnarrative mad science from another angle. Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, is a goofy, over-enthusiastic young scientist who thinks he can impress a girl, Ronnie Quaife, played by Gina Davis, with his teleportation machine. Although he doesn't realize it immediately, his demonstration goes horribly wrong, infusing his DNA with that of a stray housefly. Oh, poor, poor Seth Brundle. The Thing in 1982. John Carpenter's definitive take on body horror is another remake. He took Howard Hawks' 1951 sci-fi thriller that was based on a short story by John W. Campbell called Who Goes There? The Thing from Another World and turned it into a gore fest that has never been equaled. Retrospectively, The Thing has proved itself to be one of the more important horror films of the 80s despite not being a big, big box office success at the time. It is now seen by many as a visionary from a technical the special effects far outstripped anything previously seen and certain scenes are horrifying to watch him today three decades on and from a philosophical perspective like invasion of the body snatchers it offers a discourse on what it takes on what it is that makes us human by examining what happens when our humanity is engulfed by alien biology yes who can't forget though the evil dead yes the Evil Dead. Made on a shoestring budget by three guys barely out of their teens, it attracted worldwide notoriety for an extraordinarily graphic rape scene. It was banned outright in many countries and slashed by censors and others. Despite this, or because of it, oh, misogyny, The Evil Dead became a cult favorite, spawning sequels, a remake, and a TV show. So, with the Hades came three yes three of some of the biggest horror films to ever grace the screen no one and I mean no one can forget about Friday the 13th in 1980 now remember Friday the 13th the first one wasn't centered around young Jason Voorhees no it was centered around his mother 
who was getting revenge on those camp counselors who all they did was just party and have sexual intercourse while her son drowned in Crystal Lake. And all poor Mrs. Voorhees wanted to do was to get revenge for her little boy Jason. Little did we know that little fucker Jason sprung out of Crystal Lake and started murdering everybody in his path. To Halloween 2, which saw Michael hunting down his sister Lori Strode, this time in the hospital, intent on ending the Myers bloodline for good. As well as Halloween 3, which I will not talk about because that has nothing to do with the subsequent Halloween films, and we will talk about later on why the Halloween films between 1983 up until 2002 do not matter in the Halloween universe. But moving on, then 1984, 1984, Wes Craven, the former college professor responsible for two of the darkest and most deranged movies of the 70s, Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes, unveiled a brash commercial franchise in 1984. A Nightmare on Elm Street. <gasps> Freddy Krueger. The monster. Stalking your dreams. Better not fall asleep. Or Freddy's gonna get ya. The monster. A hideously scarred Freddy. Named after a kid who bullied Wes Craven at school. Krueger represents a successful blend of humor and horror a deranged killer who doesn't lurk silently behind a hockey mask but menaces in full view spinning one-liners as he sharpens his trademark glove in terms of jungin archetypes he is the ultimate shadow trickster the shape changer who relishes sick jokes freddy was a merchandising dream an icon for a generation whose distinctive striped jersey, battered hat, and scarred visage has shifted many t-shirts, board games, coffee cups, lunchboxes, and even snow globes. Yes. And then finally, Child's Play. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Another serial killer with a smart mouth and a not-so-snappy way of dressing appeared in 1988, launching another successful franchise, Child's Play. Introduced horror audiences to Chucky, who as well as drawing on the long tradition of malevolent malevolent dolls on page and screen, provided an interesting nexus between the monster children of the 70s and the serial killers of the 90s. The self-aware irony preempted the tone of the postmodern Wes Craven movies of the 90s. Yes. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? will haunt your dreams forever as I'm saying it. <laughs> of course, moving on to the 1990s when horror slasher started becoming its own genre away from horror and thriller. In the 90s, horror movies shifted away from the grotesque mass buckets of late liquid latex and half-naked co-eds that defined the genre during the 80s. The hedonism had to stop somewhere. Repetition as in the 40s, threatened to destroy this genre. Over-sequelization meant the original creations of the late 70s, early 80s had become hashits of their former selves. Once terrifying figures that wisecracked their way through the same old plot points, 
they tr never truly triumphed but avoided defeat, ready to come back from the dead again and again and again. Jason, Freddy, Chucky, Pinhead, all have become as plastic and unthreatening as their action figures. Ugh. And poor Michael Myers as well. Ugh. Halloween H2O, anyone? Ugh. It was time for horror to head back into the shadows where it belonged. That's its previous decades. 90s horror films suckled on the contemporary fear to spat back at them as fiction. The first Gulf War and recession of 1990 through 1992 set the cultural tone at the beginning of the decade as the negative consequences of deregulation and rampant capitalism began to have an impact. Oof! Capitalism. A small elite had profited from the greed is good mantra of the 80s, but many were left much worse off and it would take a couple of decades for them to realize how badly. Major news events reported globally on the new 24-hour news channels, the LA riots of 92, genocide in Bosnia and Rwanda, 92 and 94 respectively, the OJ Simpson trial in 95, illustrated the cracks in society. The LA riots brought the conflict to Hollywood's doorstep, causing shockwaves through the power centers of the movie industry. Even though the Cold War was over, people were still being force-fed plenty of reasons to fear and increasingly hurt the other. Skin color, gender, sexual preference, religion, addiction, disease, political ideology. 90s horror films also reflected fears about the approaching end of the millennia. Were ancient prophecies about to come true? Would the year 2000 trigger the sequence of devastating global events known as the apocalypse? Followers of new religious movements in Texas, the Branch Davidians, in California, Heaven's Gate died in mass for their beliefs. Were they right to opt for early salvation? Were the rest of us left behind, damned for all time? Thankfully, thankfully, none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger showed up at the tail end of 1999 to save us with the end of days. Yes, good old Arnold Schwarzenegger. But there were mindful killers to think about in 1990s. Serial killers became the go-to threat for horror movies in the 90s. The success of Silence of the Lambs, yes, Clarice, had a lot to do with this trend, but there were other factors at play, including the budget. At a B-movie level, serial killer narratives, which don't require special effects mayhem, were more economical to shoot than a typical 80s splatterfest and became a favorite of the robust straight-to-DVD market. On a more subconscious level, the focus on human monsters in the 90s function as a mirror to society. Horror movies had always performed this role, reconstructing the worst aspects of human experience as dark fairy tales. In fiction, unlike reality, the monster is vanquished and sunlight peeks through the end. There were plenty, plenty of senseless killers in the news. Head horror Jeffrey Dahmer to the Hutu extremists who slaughtered 800,000 people in over 100 days in Rwanda in 94. But the horror movies of the 90s went away from the flashy, slashy slashers of the 80s. It got very disturbing. They were psychological or procedural thrillers rather than horror, which carried the taint of the 80s overkill. Nonetheless, many thrillers of this era use horror 
pagdoms for pacing, character representation, and shock slash startle mechanisms. Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Yes, Silence of the Lambs. Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Hello, Clarice. I took out his liver and ate it with some fava beans and a nice candy. <sighs> Nobody can forget about that despicably horrifying line. And then you had seven in 1995 a psychological thriller with Brad Pitt he who shall not be named who played Jonathan Doe and of course Morgan Freeman we were all asking what's in the box what's in the box in 1995 then Candyman don't say his name three times in the mirror or he will appear. Yes, Candyman in 1992. Recently just got a remake that's more so just as great as the 1992 film. However, it explores the power of belief in folklore rather than religion. Graduate student Helen investigates local stories about the Candyman, who appears to be say his name in the mirror five times. The Candyman was once the wealthy, successful son of a slave. He follows a child with a white lover, is lynched by the white folks. Yes, we can't forget about Candyman. And then there were some sequels in the 90s, such as Wes Craven's New Nightmare, three other fuck, Friday the 13th films, but one film to finish off the 90s on a good note. Scream. Inevitably, those who grew up with the slasher series in the 70s and 80s will one day want to parry in. Step forward, Kevin Williamson. Supposedly inspired by a news story about the Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling, the Gainesville, Ripping, the Gainesville Ripper Danny Rowling, Williamson conjured a tale about a group of high school students who fell prey to a serial killer. Fully aware that they are tumbling through a series of slasher cliches, the characters make constant allusions to Freddy, Jason, and Michael as a head for the inevitable bloodbath at the hands of a mass killer. Nobody and nobody should forget about Ghostface. Ghostface killer. Yes. And now we are in the 2000s where <sighs> it's a different, it took a turn. 2000s horror movies had to adapt rapidly in the new decade. After so many dire things were predicted for the turn of millennia, January 1st of 2000 came and went without much mishap. Meh. Nonetheless, a seismic shift was on the way. Many commentators have identified the true beginning of the 21st century as 9-11-2001. It changed global understanding of what it is to be afraid and set the cultural agenda for following years. Terminal Terror. Final Destination. Yes, 2001. 2000. Right. Film industry already facing a recession was hard hit as filmmakers struggled to connect with the audiences amid the general trauma. Anyone trying to sell a horror film in the autumn of 2001, like George Romero did with Land of the Dead, got rebuffed. Everyone wanted to make the warm, fuzzy movies. Right? There were times to call, even calls to ban horror movies in the name of world peace. But 2005, horror genre was popular as ever. Horror films routinely topped the box office, yielding 
as they always have done, and above average grows on below average costs. Monsters had to change though. Gone were the lone psychopaths in the 90s, far too reminiscent of media portrayals of Osama bin Laden, the madman in his cave. But came different ones. Soldiers. Dog Soldiers of 2000, 2002. Death Watch. 28 days later. All of these took on the zombie aspect of horror. Torture porn became the fall and rise in 2000. Ugh. Need not talk about any other saws. Although, first saw in 2004. Fantastic horror movie. But then every subsequent saw after that was nothing but torture porn. And best not forget the awful Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween in 2007 and 2008. Torture, torture porn, indeed. Holy shit, that was two terrible sequels to a beloved movie franchise. Ugh. Scary J is very disgusted by both of those movies because they had nothing to do with even the original Halloween timeline. Torture porn took over, but there was also the Asian inspiration. <laughs> no longer were horror movies held to the Western full The Asian horror started to make headway. It draws heavily on the spirit rather than the material world, focusing on ghosts, curses, and haunted houses, leaving psychopathic killers to the stylized thriller genre. This is perhaps because of the Asian belief systems, particularly Buddhism, Shinto, and Muslim, are open are, or open towards the cons concept that consciousness continues after death, and that the departed leaves some trace in themselves. Yes, of course, the ring. How can we forget about the ring? Mm -hmm. The ring, a great movie great Asian inspired movie and then of course came the straight to DVD bonanza where many of 2000s movies were straight to DVD because they were shot on very low budget and essentially were mixed between torture porn and C movie made some were good some were just plain awful a horrible horrifying attempt at the horror genre disgusting but now we get on to the final genre to the final era that topped itself and has became a horror renaissance. 2010 horrors. The 10 horror, the 10's horror movies reflected a renewed focus on religious horror, sounding recautionary warning notes about the dangers of leaving moral absolutionism behind. The last exorcism, The Conjuring. No one felt safe after the Great Recession, even in their own homes. Cue a wave of movies about infections. It follows. Home invasions and domestic monsters. The Babadook. The Purge. Perhaps the less said about found footage movie, the better? Found footage movies were also a thing in the 90s and 2000s. And we're not going to get into that. So, of course. Early 2000s kill list what are we the babadook the conjuring the last exorcism but it's the latter of the two 2010s you had get out get out a monumental leap in horror for black filmmakers and directors jordan peele of 
comedic origins came out with this thriller in 2018 a black man travels to his white girlfriend's families for the weekend and he uncovers many evil and disgusting secrets about her about their family yes oh but it was revolutionary and it was needed and it was done very well Jordan Peele nearly outdid himself in 2020 with a subsequent or sorry 2019 with the equally better us yes us but we can't forget about hereditary mm. about a spirit taking over a family killing them one by one hereditary this is where thriller and horror started becoming mainstream yet again it's a fantastic time in the late 2010s we can't forget about the reimagining of Halloween yes Halloween 2018 released on the 40th anniversary of the very first Halloween Laurie Strode Michael Myers face off again does Michael make it out does Lori finally get revenge on her older brother for trying to kill her all those years ago? There's only one way to find out. And that's with the 2020s horror decade. How will this or this era of horror pan out? In my opinion, it's starting off great. Many horror films came out in 2020. So many of them. But for 2021, it starts on October 15th when Halloween Kills comes out on HBO Max and in theaters. Michael Myers, thought to be presumed dead, makes his reappearance. And Laurie Strode takes on her older brother one more time with the help of her family. Can she get the job done or will Michael just keep on killing? In speculation, I hope that Jason and Freddy makes some sort of comeback. There were rumors that there was a Friday the 13th remake also coming in 2021. But nonetheless, what will the 2020s horror era show us? We're gonna take this one last break to wrap up this first episode, episode of the SBM Scary Hours. Listen to this spooky commercial break sponsored by Anchor Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of the SBM Scary Hours. We're wrapping up horror through the decades. And as you can tell, I'm a very big fan of horror <laughs> yes I am horror has always been my favorite the Halloween franchise will always be Scary Jay's favorite franchise when it comes to horror and thriller and slashers what will the 2010s have in store what will the 2020s have in store for us hopefully a lot of good and less of the bad 
or vice versa, depending on how you feel. We're wrapping up this first episode, but (laughs) I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) No, I'm going to be on here for at least a couple more episodes. Well, we'll get into folklore, urban legends, ghosts, and aspirations. Anything that's spooky and gets under your skin, gets your, just gets you crawling, we'll talk about and it will be discussed. <laughs> so don't expect a sophisticated black man to be here anytime soon. No, his podcast has been taken over. This has been your spooky, friendly, not so friendly neighborhood horror figure scary jay and i'll see you in your dreams